Amen. Well, the scripture reading and the sermon this morning comes to us from our Sunday's director, Brent Hodge. He's going to be bringing us the word this morning. Well, our text today is from Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. Let me read that for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Who believe. Let me pray for us this morning. God, as we come before you now and we open your word as we finish this year, God, I, I, I ask that you just come in a powerful way through your spirit and your presence, Lord, that your word just comes alive to each of us in this room today. And that as we leave from this place today, that those words of truth become embedded in our hearts and in our minds and truly transform us, God. Bless this time together, Lord. We're asking for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Dennis asked if I could teach this Sunday, and um, I thought right away, I was like, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to help. And so I went home, and I was talking to my wife, Tam, and I thought right away that I probably wanted to say something about the end of the year, the new year. It's kind of what you do this weekend. Um, we're joking a little bit, too, that oftentimes this is, uh, earlier before the service, we were joking a little bit, that oftentimes this is a service that is a little lighter attended because people are still traveling, things are going on, people are out of town, all that good stuff. So when I was growing up in church, this weekend was always called Youth Pastor Preaches Sunday. So I'm your youth pastor today, but no, this is fun. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad I get to share this with you, because when I went home and talked to my wife, Tam, I really had on my heart that I wanted to encourage you as we move into the new year and what that might look like. When we move into the new year, we often make new goals, set new resolutions, decide new things that are going to happen in our life. We look ahead and do the best to see what's going to be in front of us and what the next year can bring us, and then we set these goals around us to get there. Hopefully, some of those are broken right away, or you know, we, we fall off the wagon of whatever we're stopping or starting very quickly, but some continue on through the year, and they set a precedent for who we become and who we'll look back on in 2020 as to where we've come from in 2019. So right away, I told this to my wife, and she said, well, you have to name the message 2020 Vision. I thought that was pretty creative. So 2020 Vision it is. What is guiding our sight? This is kind of what I want us to think about today. So as we head into 2020, what do we see? We're looking ahead. We have goals. We have aspirations. We might even be setting resolutions. What do we see? How do we see what we see? What's shaping the way we see things? Is God a part of the way we see things? Are we setting goals and making resolutions that guide us towards what God sees in us and around us? Does God, are we allowing God to let us see life a different way? Especially the way we see ourselves when we see others. Is this a year that we're heading into, a new year that we're heading into, where we really have a clear vision of what God is doing in our lives and in the people's lives around us? And how are we living that out? 
All over the Bible, we read about sight, about seeing. And most often, the Bible is talking to us about sight as the way of seeing in the way we feel, the way our hearts understand, a knowing, an understanding of God, of, of understanding who he is, what he is in our life. And because we know who God is, we have the ability to see the world around us in a special way. It focuses on seeing through our spiritual eyes. So the Bible talks a lot about how we see spiritually and how important that is. Look at this. In Matthew 6, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What, and maybe more importantly, how we view the world around us impacts everything about our lives as Christians. Ephesians 1, 17, 18 was our text for today. And I want to read that again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, that the eyes of our hearts can be enlightened to understanding this incredible hope. He desires to open our eyes to what he has for us. He wants us to see clearly. He wants us to see more of him. And the reality is the more we see of him, the more we know him. And the more we know him, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, our lives are transformed and changed. And the lives around us are transformed and changed because of that as well. So having this spiritual sight, being able to see the way God sees, allows us to see things in incredible new ways, ways that our physical bodies can't see, ways that us as humans aren't able to clearly view. Having this spiritual sight allows us to see through God's eyes, through God's view. And seeing things as God sees them allows us to see two things very clearly. One of them is we're able to see ourselves as God sees us, And we're able to see others as God sees us. And these are the two kind of main things I want to talk about today. So I want to start with the first one, which is having clear vision for 2020 requires that we see ourselves the way God sees us. So how many of you have created New Year's resolutions in your life? Some of you? I think most of us have tried something, maybe not right in January, but we have set goals for ourselves. And January is often a, a new, fresh time to do that resolutions can be easy, they can be hard, they can kind of be fun, they can be serious. Whatever approach we use to create New Year's resolutions, they become a guide that kind of inspires us and means to keep us on point to get to something, to make things new, to change things. We want something better about our lives. We want something different about our lives. We want to lose weight or eat better. We want to be generous with our money or we want to spend less money. We want to take more time off or we want to work harder with less procrastination. Every resolution, every goal we said is a step towards something, health, wealth, less stress, changes. Resolutions seek to improve who we are and the current situations we live in. (coughs) Excuse me. Of course, there's some fun resolutions and kind of some goofy ones too. And I I thought I'd go on Twitter the other day and kind of look up New Year's resolutions, see what I find. And I found a bunch that were kind of funny. So I thought I'd show those with you because that's probably appropriate. My resolution for 2020 is to eat less spiders in my sleep. That's awful. (laughs) My New Year's resolution is to come to terms with the fact that John Mayer is in his 40s. (laughs) 
My wife asked me what my New Year's resolution is going to be. I shrugged. I really didn't know. My wife said that her New Year's resolution is for her to eat clean, which means she has decided that my New Year's resolution is also going to be that I eat clean. <laughs> I love this one. My New Year's resolution is to convince as many people as possible, possible that the word hillbilly is short for Mountain William. <laughs> Who thinks of this stuff? My resolution for 2020 is to refer to myself less often as trash and more often as recycling because at least my nonsense is eco-friendly and sustainable. That's a very L.A. thing there, right? Is there? That last resolution is a bit harsh, and these are kind of goofy, but I also believe there's some truth in all of these. We don't want to eat spiders. We don't want to be. But maybe this person in that last resolution does see them a little bit as trash. Maybe they view themselves a little bit, but they're kind of making fun of it and trying to look maybe through a different lens so that they don't feel as bad about themselves. I think quite often what we see about us, what we believe about us, the way we view ourselves is a distortion of what is real. Sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Most likely, we probably think too lowly of ourselves. We see ourselves inept or incapable or just not worthy of. When we walk into an eye doctor's office, we expect that they will fix our sight, that they're going to give us something that we're going to be able to see in a new way because they understand and we're able to walk out of that office with glasses or contacts that improve the way we see. And this is no different for us in the way we view ourselves and whether or not we come to God or to others for those glasses or contacts. When we look around us and we look at the world around us and then we view ourselves, how are we seeing ourselves? The Bible says that we, the way we see ourselves can determine our behavior. I love what Matthew twelve thirty five says. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. When we believe good and see good, we produce good. We change and bring into this world around us incredible things. We, the way we see ourselves can determine our behavior. And the way we behave determines what we bring into this world. Are we bringing it good or are we bringing it evil? The problem is so much stuff we believe about ourselves just isn't true. And often we behave based on those false or inaccurate views we have of ourselves. The fact is we all grow up with an inaccurate view. Someone's told us something about us that we believe Someone's done something to us that has hurt us. We've had broken relationships or family members. Someone has put us into a place that we've stayed because we don't think we're worthy of any other spot. The way people have told us that they see us has affected the way we see ourselves. The way people have treated us affects the way we see ourselves. And the way we see ourselves is crucial to the lives we end up living. We have to see ourselves clearly. I uh, used to love to go to fairs or funhouse stuff. And, and you remember those weird mirrors? You'd walk in and they'd just distort you. You'd walk up to one and you're a big round round ball. Or you walk up to the squiggly ones and they make you look all weird. And if you stand just right, you can be a little more thin. Or if you stand just right, your biceps are huge. Whatever it is, those mirrors gave us a completely false representation of who we are. But even for a second, we saw something different about ourselves. And maybe something we liked. Or maybe something we didn't like. But that distorted view of who we really are is a distorted view. It's not based on fact. Now imagine leaving those mirrors and the things you saw and believing what you saw in the mirrors. And because you believe what you saw in the mirrors, that you were thinner or too fat or, or not thin enough, 
you start living your life based on that false representation. You start to reinforce things based on what you saw or change things based on what you saw. See, we do this all the time. We allow the way we think and feel about who we are to guide our daily lives. We replay the things said to us. We replay the things that have happened in our lives, the hurt. We replay all the things that have gone in our life to change us into believing who we are. We replay those things over and over in our minds. And we believe them. And then we live our life as if they are real. In Proverbs 23, it tells us that the way we think becomes the way we are. What do, you th- what do you think happens in our life when we are see ourselves as losers or as dumb or as not creative or even worse, as incapable, unworthy, a victim? The way we think determines the way we act, and what we see impacts the lives we live. God has given us a mind that can think and can create. He's given us a voice that can speak and sing. He's given us the capacity for relationships with family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers. What if we truly believed what King David said in Psalm 139.14 when he wrote this? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God created me. I am wonderful. God's creation and his works are wonderful. I believe this completely. I know this. We're told in Genesis 1 that we're made in the image of God. Do we believe these things about us? So there's two things that I want us to understand as we view ourselves. I want you to understand, number one, that God sees us as worthy of his love. John 3.16 is well known by everybody, and it clearly tells us that because God loved us, he brought his son to earth, and he chose to give us love, life. He loves us so much that we were willing, worthy of his love and his salvation and redemption. And I love what Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God's love for us is unconditional, and it never ends. Do we believe this? Do we believe that we're worthy of God's love? Or do we pay attention to the things replaying in our mind the things that have been said or done to us that tell us we're unlovable, incapable of being loved. Well, so the first thing is he sees us as worthy of his love. He also sees us, number two, as worthy of his forgiveness. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. What an incredible verse it tells us how God has forgiven us and what he is willing to do to bring forgiveness to us. Before God made you, he knew everything about you. He knew everything you were going to do in your life, all your mistakes, all your failures, all your successes, all your sin. He knew the worst and the best. He saw it all, and he still says in advance, I'm willing to forgive you no matter what. No matter what, I am willing to forgive you. That is the good gospel news. That is the good news for us. Isaiah 43, 25 should blow us away. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Do we truly understand what God has done to forgive us as we have come to him as his children? Or do we live in guilt and shame? 
Do we choose to continue to reflect on our failures and mistakes, those things that we don't think are worth loving us over, those things that we don't think are forgivable in our lives? So we place ourselves and have a view of ourselves in a place that is not godly and not the way God sees us. If we are truly to see ourselves as God sees us, we have to fully understand and accept that God sees us worthy of his love and his forgiveness. If we can see ourselves, now think about New Year's resolutions and setting goals. If we can see ourselves this way, can you imagine what our view of the next year would be? What would 2020 look like if we know that we are loved, we are forgiven, and we are worthy? What kind of goals would we start setting then? What kind of priorities and where would our focus be as we head into 2020? See, believing the truth that God loves us and forgives us changes the way we see the things around us, the way we see ourselves, the way we act and respond to this world, and it allows God to work in and through us in a powerful way. When we choose to see ourselves through God's eyes, it changes us. When we choose to see ourselves through God's eyes, it changes the people around us. When we choose to see ourselves through God's eyes, we also choose to see others the same way. In the same way God sees us as worthy of love and forgiveness, he also looks at the people around us and says they are worthy of love and forgiveness too. So we know that having a clear vision for 2020 requires that we see ourselves the way God sees us. But it also requires that we see others the way God sees them. Um, Years ago, I owned a Jeep and really got the Jeep bug and started to build it up, put some big tires on it, wanted to get up into the mountains and play with it. It was, some of my favorite memories with our kids were the times where we'd disappear for a Saturday and go up into the hills and try to find something to climb up and try to find mud to get dirty in. And we just had a great time. As I also uh, would come down from the mountains, I drove this during the day. So it was my daily driving car as well. So I drove it to work and to church and all that stuff. And over period of the first few months of having the Jeep, I noticed something. I noticed that people were waving at me, and I didn't understand why they were waving at me. And then I kind of did some research on it, and I realized that this was a real thing. There's a thing called the Jeep wave, where people who own Jeeps actually wave at each other, and it was a thing. So we'd stop at stoplights or stop signs or pass each other, and you'd see someone in a Jeep, and you're like, hey, it's a weird thing, but it's real. The Jeep wave was common for all everybody that owned Jeeps. So when we were in my Jeep, it was really interesting. I felt like I was kind of a part of a big family, something bigger, something special. Um, it was something that, that because of just our basic choice of transportation, we all were connected in a way. It, the special thing about it, if I think about it deeper, was I didn't even know who those people were. I just accepted them as they were. We were a part of this family. We were a part of this thing. And because they were there, I waved at them. It didn't matter what socioeconomic place they were in, what age they were, what race they were. We just were a part of this incredible thing. Well, just recently, I was thinking about this because just recently, I was sitting at a stoplight, and a guy pulled up next to me in a Jeep. And I was like, oh, it's a cool Jeep. And then I saw him do this, and I'm like, oh. And sure enough, there was a Jeep guy across the way, and they were waving at each other. In a similar way, what if we began to look at the people around us as a part of something bigger, as a part of something special? 
See, we know as children of God that we are worthy of his love and forgiveness, and we have accepted that. And we know that the people around us are also worthy of God's love and forgiveness. What if we believed we were all a part of an amazing kingdom and family that was bigger than anything we could imagine? If we saw that, how would that start changing some of our goals and our resolutions as well? See, God sees us through these eyes of unconditional love, and he loves each of us, not just us, but each of us, all of us. It doesn't matter what we do, where we work, how much money we have, how educated we are, what we look like, what car we own. We are all a part of this incredible, bigger plan that God has. We need to do the same and look just like people in those Jeep waves. didn't matter who they were. We need to look at people around us and see them as how God sees them, as worthy of love and forgiveness. Once we do that, once we start believing who we are in Christ, lovable, forgivable, we're able to start seeing that others are lovable and forgivable. And things start to change about the way we interact with people. Things start to change about how we speak to people. Things start to change dramatically about how we care for people. And going into a year and setting some new resolutions and goals for our life, maybe things we want to change, things we want to make better, things we want to start. What if we were more merciful and caring and giving and loving because people we haven't even met yet are worthy and deserve this love and forgiveness. So here's the deal. God sees us and others as capable. Maybe that's not the best word. What does capable mean? Is it kind of a pat you on the back, you can do it, or everyone gets a trophy statement? No. It's much deeper as Christians. God has given us his word, his wisdom, his spirit, his strength. Look at 2 Timothy three sixteen seventeen. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God gives us his truth, his word, that we can become capable and understanding and wise and knowledgeable in him. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, 6 talks about this. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. And maybe sufficient is a better word than capable. Not that we are capable, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency, our capability is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There's an epidemic in America, around the world really, but here in America truly. Most recent statistics say that 85% of adults will admit to suffering with self-esteem issues. That's a lot. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why that happens and what contributes to those, those, those feelings about ourselves and the way we look at ourselves. But regardless of why we struggle with this, the reality is we do. We are in desperate need of an understanding of the hope of God and that we are worthy of love and forgiveness. We are in desperate need of an understanding of who we are in Christ. I talked about already that we replay these things in our head, the things that people have said about us, said to us, the things that people have done to us. We replay this in our minds over and over again. God calls that meditation. When we meditate on things, they become a part of our life. When we meditate on the negative and the false and the distorted views that people have had of us, we become that way. 
See, as we continue to kind of replay these old memories in our mind, some of us are still living as if they are real, in fact, five years, 10 years, 20 years later. Studies also show that the younger we were when we dealt with or experienced some sort of aggression or tragedy, or we were a victim of something, that it's much harder for us to get over what took place to us. It's much more difficult. And for some of you, you had people in your life that spoke horrible words over you. Words like, you don't matter. You're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do anything right. I hate you. Horrible words. See, God says we're all capable, sufficient of rejecting what the world has said about us. We are all capable of healing from things that have been said and done to us. We're all capable of moving from victims to victors. Because God has given us what we need to do this. He's given us his strength, his wisdom, his insight, his truth, his spirit. He comes into our lives and he transforms us. And when he does that, he transforms the people around us as well. Philippians 4.13, we've heard this verse a hundred times. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses strength into me, ability into me, capability, sufficiency. I am self-sufficient through Christ's sufficiency. It's because of him that we are able to experience love, experience forgiveness, and live in the confident fact that we are sufficient and capable through him. Through God's word, through God himself, we are capable. We are capable of seeing ourselves as God sees us. We're capable of seeing others as God sees us. We're capable of choosing love and forgiveness. We're capable of seeing ourselves as who we really are. And we're capable of living out our lives in an amazing way as God's children, as part of his family. Um, to kind of end today, I, I want to share a story with you, and I want to read this because I want to get it right. But there was uh, an old preacher from from Tennessee who now lived in Oklahoma. His name was Dr. Fred Craddock. He tells about a vacation with his wife when he was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One night in a restaurant, while they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man visiting with guests. Craddock whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want anyone intruding on their privacy. They were having a great vacation, and you know this, this guy was going from table to table, and he's like, I just want to be private. But sure enough, the man came over to their table. Where are you folks from, he asked in a friendly voice. Oklahoma, Craddock answered. We're in Oklahoma right now, but we grew up here in Tennessee. Oh, Oklahoma, it's a splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? Craddock said, I teach homiletics at the Graduate Seminary of Phillips University. The man replied, oh, so you teach preachers how to preach? He said, sure. And this gentleman said, well, I've got a story to tell you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock said he groaned inwardly and thought to himself, oh, no, here comes another preacher's story. It seems like everybody has at least one. The man stuck out his hand, introduced himself. I'm Ben Hooper, he said. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a pretty hard time as a young kid. When I started school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. They didn't see me as worthy or adequate to be alive. 
I used to go off by myself at recess and lunchtime because the things they said to me cut so deep. What was worse was going to town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like every eye was burning a hole through me, wondering just who my father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and slip out early, but one day the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and it was the preacher looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? He asked. Oh, I felt this big weight coming down on me. How was I to answer this? It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he recognized something was wrong. He began to smile, a big smile of recognition. And he looked at me and said, wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You're a child of God. With that, he shook my hand and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, those are the most important words anybody has ever said to me, and I've never forgotten them. With that, he smiled, shook hands with Craddock and his wife, and moved on to another table to greet old friends. Craddock, growing up in Tennessee, began to remember a little bit about the Tennessee history that he had studied, and he realized there were two elected governors to the state who had been born out of wedlock, and one of them was a man named Ben Hooper. Ben had a chance that day as a child to be reminded and to replay what he'd been told his entire life. He had a chance in that moment with that preacher to believe the distorted image of what he viewed him, how he viewed himself. But what happened in that moment was he began to believe the preacher and believe that God truly did have a place for him in God's plan, in God's life. That he was worthy of love, of forgiveness. When Jesus went to the cross to die for us, he went to the cross with a godly vision of who we are. He saw us as fearfully and wonderfully made. He saw us as made in his own image. He saw us as loved, and he became the ultimate sacrifice for each of us because he saw us as forgivable. We are truly capable and sufficient to see dramatic change in our lives in 2020. The cross of Jesus has set the standard for who we can become and why we have the ability to live a life free of our past, of the chains, of the distortions. We can choose to believe God and take on his sight for our lives and those around us the way he sees us, the way he sees others. And we can let that be a catalyst as we head into 2020 for goals and resolutions. Or we can choose to view ourselves through funky mirrors at the fair or the words of others. God is desiring each of us to step into his plan. God is desiring that each of us see us as he sees us. God is desiring that we become a light to the people around us, a healed, transformed people that bring good into this world, that change the lives of people around us. Let me pray for us today. God, thank you for your encouraging word.
that in your scripture, God, in, in, in your word, over and over it talks about your love for us. And over and over reminded of this amazing grace you have extended to each of us. Lord, we need you in a desperate way. You are our hope. You are our sufficiency. And God, I know that there are many of us in this room today that are struggling with guilt, shame, that are attached to and tied down to things of the past, things people have said, things that have been done to us, things we've created and done to others. Lord, let us be a church and a people that rises out of that distortion and those lies and today extends our lives into your hands that you change us and shape us, God. That we truly take on your love and your forgiveness. God, let 2020 be an incredible year, not because of anything we are capable of doing, God, but because we are capable through you and because you are sufficient. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.